Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax. It's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Welcome to the Vet Gurus. Brendan here with Mark, episode 277, Thursday, January the 12th. 2023. Hello, Mark. How are you, St- Brendan? Starlink to Mark. Starlink to Mark. Now, the satellite has connected. We need to have a little discussion about this, Mark. Um, last ep- week's episode was a little bit different, and we had to sort of chop and change. And I ended up having to cut together bits and pieces to to make a halfway decent uh, production uh, because your fancy. Elon Musk Starlink was not plan not not doing what it should. So hopefully this week it will. We're still, we're supposedly recording on the Starlink now. Well, we are, and we'll see if it <laughs> survives. We, def- we definitely are at the moment. Whether that continues, um, I have been paying particular attention to the way that um, that the weather does play. I mean, it's a satellite system. The weather is going to play somewhat of a role. Um, but it's certainly much more stable than any of the other, like there are other satellite connections, other types of satellite connections here, um, and uh, and they seem to be less reliable. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to say at least one good thing about Elon by the end of this podcast. And I can see from your social media extensive network you have been posting uh, on uh, all sorts of topics and obviously you're using the Starlink um, to access that as well during the week as well, so that's good. And some pretty amazing photos, Mark, I must admit, as usual. They just keep, I don't know how, but they keep getting better and better of some of the amazing wildlife up in the top north of Australia. So do you want to chat about a couple of the pics you've posted recently, especially there's a couple of birds that oh, yeah. took my fancy that um, absolutely stunning. And I think you've, you've, you've branched out. You're posting videos as well with sand, almost like a, you're turning into a TikTok um, titan, aren't you? Well, I think the, 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 um, the, al- the dreaded algorithm um, certainly feeds if you feed the beast uh, um, movies, short movies, it certainly pumps them out to many, many more people to have a look at. So where I've had the opportunity to get a little bit of footage, I have taken that opportunity. In fact, I'm in. I'm just uh, putting one piece together from some owls that I had the pleasure of watching the other morning. Um, but, um, but I have, oh, there are so many of the, the uh, paradise buff-breasted kingfishers about. They're all going down to nest. The beautiful birds are going down to nest. So I try not to hassle them too much. A lot of photographers um, sort of seek out the nest to get that shot of the bird feeding the the young, but, um, but I'm happy to let them do that sort of part of their life on their own, and I don't need to get those images, but I was able to get a little bit of footage of one of those beautiful kingfishers just marking out his territory. And uh, and the other one was the um, uh, red-bellied uh, pitta, or the, it's currently known as the Papuan pitta. The splitters have divided that particular species up, and the 
the one that occurs in northern Australia is now known as the Papuan Peter. And, geez, you know, we've got Gouldian finches, we've got uh, um, hooded parrots, and um, and we've got uh, um, the most rainbow lorikeets, the most colourful birds, and, geez, the the Pitta, the... the uh, Papuan Pitta is definitely up there amongst the most ridiculously coloured animals and uh, certainly they're not uh, vying for any um, camouflage winning contest. They yes. they stand out in the rainforest floor. When you see them, you don't miss them, Brendan. Spectacular. Um, the picture of the – I think it was a picture or a video that I enjoyed the most, Mark, is, is you returning from an expedition at before dawn um, in your – camouflage suit um completely sodden but the, he had a beaming face and you looked like a pig in mud but um you, you looked um happy as even though that you're absolutely drenched you've been out there doing some doing some twitching and some photographing of the birds uh, it's hard so. not to get sodden in this weather Brent. yes yes especially up in this time of the year in australia so Enough about you. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about the podcast and for new listeners, vetgurus at gmail.com, the place to go. Look at pre- our previous episodes, 277 of them, including this one. Have a think about becoming a patron. It's thrown us a couple of dollars to help our production costs. Say hello. Click on the links. Um, say hello to our sponsors as well. And uh then the world is happy, um, and I think, Mark, we we do, we we're mixing it up as we try and think about doing every few episodes. We're going to rip through a, a particular top ten um, episode this week, but before that, we don't have any news stories where we have got them banking up, and we thought we'd leave them to make this a bit more punchy. But I do have a quick little book review, Mark, and I think you've ordered this book. Um, to head over. It might take a, a fair period of time with the floods and everything <laughs> up there and the, being isolated. I might have to do a drone drop to you, Mark. Maybe Elon can send a rocket up <laughs> to his satellite and beam it down to you, Mark. Uh, I have ordered it and I'm keen to, to have it read, so I'm very keen to hear your review. Well, I won't I won't do any real spoilers because it's just a it's an anecdote-type book and it's, um, it's called The Vet at Noah's Ark, Stories of Survival from an inner-city animal hospital. And for us, it has a particular um, interest because it is by Dr. Doug Mader, who both of us um, know, know um, well. He probably doesn't know us um, <laughs> at all, but um, he's a renowned exotic pet veterinarian um, from the US um, and one of the original, one of the pioneers of, of especially reptile medicine, but exotic medicine generally. Um, and... Doug uh, is the well, he you know the main the Bible, isn't it, Mark? Of of um, reptile medicine is named after him because of his original um, edition. Um, it's now been taken over the editing um, by other authors, but um, his name's still on it. And yes, yeah, so it's basically a bit of a bit of an autobiography, just anecdotes of his his life in the practice he set up in Southern California in Los Angeles in in the early 1990s and is it's each chapter just has lots of little um stories um there are some interlinks between the stories mark over the over the chapters and he has basically 12 chapters and each chapter's a month um of the year um and I presume that he's just 
popped a few. You know, it's not exactly the year that each of those episodes occurred, but he's um, um, taking. I think he's taking a bit of liberty to, to 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 lump them in to have a bit of a consistency there over the over the year. And he chats about um, it chats a lot about the the vet students um, that that he hosts for a month at a time and and what they get up to. There's some quite good <laughs> stories with that, um, and obviously um, the cases that they see that the, the the lives and the deaths of, of the patients there, but also he um, it was involved around that time, Mark. It was um, during um, lots of gangs and, and the, um, the the riots there um, with the with the um, Rodney King beating. Mark um, was in 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 um, just around the corner from where he was, I think, or not far. So um, the the there's some quite um, yeah, dramatic um, um, chapter or two on that as well. So yeah, it's um, damn good read, Mark. Um, so I think all vets and, and veterinary nurses, technicians should be reading it. But even more so, exotic pet veterinarians, and um, you'll you'll read through the cases, Mark, and I, I think you'll find a few of them. You'll predict what's going to happen, or you've got the diagnosis of it as soon as it's walked in the door, which which Doug had for a fair fair few of them as well um um and you'll be you'll be laughing along with him um about um the cases and and very much parallel what's happening here is that your dog barking mark i presume it's your phone (laughs) in the background yes so the 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 vet at noah's ark um dr doug mader i'll I'll put a link to that um stories of survival from an inner city animal hospital in the u.s was um released last year 2022 it's available from amazon worldwide i think is probably the easiest um, place to get it and um, yeah good fun mark great um holiday reading or or when you just want to decompress and that and there is some pretty sad tales in there as well but a fantastic um fantastic book and it it has to hang on let me grab the calculator out again yeah, it's 8.6 out of 10, Mark, 8.6 out of 10. So I'll be very interested in your score, Mark. Um, once you receive it, you manage to have a bit of a, a, a browse through it. I, I managed to um, rip through it in, um, in uh, last weekend, actually. Um, I read the whole thing because it's a very digestible, very easy to read, and once you've read a chapter, it's um, very hard not to keep reading the next chapter. I've got one question for you, Brendan. I find with a lot of vet veterinary um, anecdote, um, you know, it's sort of like being at work. You know, it's like listening to someone else's story. But I, I thought, um, and so it, I often find them a bit hard to get into because it's what you know you and I do every day. Um, but I particularly look forward to Doug's because obviously. Um, he, he presents a slightly different perspective, and and you hinted at the the um, the social aspects between the students and and uh, social events occurring at the time. So, did that enhance it for you? Yes, definitely, definitely. Um, and I I know exactly what you mean with the case reports and just the same old, same old. Although they're completely different cases that from the other books out there, and that. There definitely was a, an aspect of that um, with it, in that, um, which is why I didn't, you know, I didn't get a higher mark than that. Um, but he does weave in quite well some of the um, some of the um, 
politics um, of, of dealing with the students, um, good and bad, and, and, and the, the um, welfare of students as well, um, as well as the, the, the social aspects, as you mentioned, about what, where he's living and the gangs and the drugs and everything that are going on in the, in the region where he was. And I know I've sort of experienced that to probably a much lesser degree with one of the practices I did work at at one stage with um, some very interesting characters um, that we had um, in, a, in a rougher part of town, Mark. Uh, so, so yeah, it, it doesn't weave that in quite well. Um, it's it's not as you know narrative driven and and um, you know following the same sort of characters um, over over the book like the you know the classic James Herriot type um, situation does, which is you know I don't think anybody did or does it has done it better than, than that as far as you know the following sort of the career and then a, a, like a like a, a soapy type aspect as well as throwing in individual cases um, so it's not quite as um, deep as, as that sort of thing but an, an excellent um, book nonetheless yeah. so there we go um, and I'd be interested if anybody um, has, has read it or is thinking of reading it and when they do read it um, send us an email vetgurus at gmail.com about your thoughts on it so I think we'll jump in Mark we won't have any news stories as I mentioned previously we'll jump into the main topic and it is a selection and it, it did end up being 10 Mark particular eye conditions in exotic pets and some of them are eye problems some of them are just um, interesting eye observations I suppose and peculiarities um, and we have covered eye diseases and exotics before um, and mentioned a couple of these but that was way back Mark in episode number 58 which was a well, good two or three years ago I think so I think it's high time we jumped into a, a rip-roaring selection of eye issues in exotics and we've we've just plucked a few off the top of our heads haven't we of, of, of ones that we find of interest um, both to ourselves and I think to our our colleagues as well and I think the first one one is reptiles and um, reptiles the fact that they do have those spectacles those um, scale over the eye um, um, with not all reptiles but the, uh, a, a huge number of them certainly do have those spectacles mark um, so you want to chat a little bit about that we did cover shedding problems um, in episode 243 for those who um, haven't listened to that one so let's talk about spectacles and reptiles mark it's spectacular brendan that will be spectacular um, and i love saying that word because <laughs> there you go there's um, the, the first uh, quick, because we want to be punchy, there's two quick things I wanted to say about spectacles in uh, snakes and geckos and pygopids, the, the animals that have spectacles, and that is um, they can get subspectacular abscesses, and they're not abscesses that are just less spectacular than usual abscesses. They're abscesses within the space between the lens and the spectacle. So they are spectacular subspectacular abscesses, aren't they, mate? In most cases, they are. And the other one, of course, is dysectisis. And, um, and they sort of can be a little bit interrelated because infections that ascend the 
you station the the um, the tube that goes up to the eye, um, that those infections can sneak underneath the spectacle and lead to an abscess, but they can also um, alter the pattern of um, hydration, the way that eyelid forms the next skin and, and gets shed. There are obviously husbandry issues that contribute to dissectisis more generally, and uh, and they can often be manifest as problems getting the scale off the eye. And um, and definitely I've seen cases where there's been um, maybe four or five, the record would be seven sheds where they, um, the scale has sat on the eye. And, of course, we all want to get it off as quickly as possible, Brendan, don't we? We all want to just rip that uh, um, gungy, um, opaque, obviously milky looking spectacle off the eye and get it set to normal but the best thing to do is generally not that is it Brendan you normally try a different tactic yes take your time and don't because yeah there's a big danger of especially for inexperienced reptile veterinarians or veterinarians inexperienced with reptiles of of been a bit too aggressive there and we may remove that spectacle or we may remove what we think is a spectacle and we end up causing severe damage to the, the cornea and not the actual spectacle there, Mark. So we did chat a lot of detail about that, I think, in that dissectisis, which means abnormal shedding episode um, in episode 243. So I think we'll just leave it at that with it. But, yeah, just remembering that reptiles do have spectacles. So it applies to, well, most reptiles have spectacles and it applies to a, a lot of potential, everything you need to do when you're looking at eyes in reptiles um, that with spectacles mark from, you know, what products you can put in the eye or on the eye that will, you know, get beneath that spectacle or not to dealing with those retain spectacles to dealing with those abscesses or, or fluid accumulation underneath the spectacle and problems with the drainage um, of the eye. So there's basically a lot of things that are completely different than um, a mammalian eye because we have that that scale over the eye mark. Um, number two, number two is, well, I'm going to jump to one of the bird ones, Mark, um, and that is, and we'll put that second one we have on the list there, third, um, cataracts in aged pet birds you wanted to chat about. Let, I did, I did. Oh. It's um, it's a interesting thing about captive birds, particularly I see it commonly in, in cockatiels and, um, and canaries, but it uh, also occurs in most of the other um, domesticated caged songbirds, um, budgerigars and whatnot, and that is cataractus change. They're generally... Um, and a lot of these birds, uh, we have worked up considerably looking for the connection between the cataracts and maybe some systemic illness, some metabolic illness, as is often the case with cataracts. But we haven't been able to identify them. They just look like senile change and they can come on very, very quickly in these species. Um, and the birds can be rendered very poor, um, rendered very poor visually very quickly. And this can be distressing for clients. But my experience has been that these birds tend to adapt to the diminished vision relatively well. And as long as you're not changing the enclosure furniture around dramatically, they figure out where everything is. And a lot of these birds will actually have the cataract while it'll be bright and milky and, and opaque and render the bird almost blind, 
um, over time they often resolve to a certain extent, not completely, but um, the birds often have much better vision a few months afterwards. So a case to be aware of is uh, cataracts in those aged pet cage birds. We'll have to do a whole episode on that, I think, won't we? Um, bird eye diseases, but especially those cataracts because I've got... Ten questions that I need to ask you about that, but we'll leave it. We're trying to be racy and efficient and punchy. So we'll jump back to the one I've skipped over there, Mark, and that's rabbit third eyelid prolapses. And the reason why we popped this on there is we had a bit of a chat about it off air last week or the week before, um, and that is because the repair options for these, um, we do have a an easier option um, is the best way of putting it than we would consider doing with the third eyelid prolapse repairs in our dogs that we commonly see and we get that cherry eye in the dog and the classic techniques and there's two or three methods, isn't there, Mark? But basically we're anchoring, we're, we're making incision over that buckled prolapsed third eyelid gland and we're popping it back in a little pocket and we're, we're anchoring that pocket um, to the rim of the orbit um, to stop it coming back out again. And in the old days, Mark, and I certainly did it, and, and I'd be interested to see whether you did, um, we used to just chop the whole third eyelid off um, and just be done with it. Very simple, quick procedure in our dogs and, and potentially the odd other species that we saw with it um, until the ophthalmologist waggled their fingers at us and told us that wasn't the good thing to do because it can interfere with um, tear production and increase the chance of dry eye with them. So um, the pocket sort of repair techniques are preferred. But the good thing with um, rabbits is, and I did one two weeks ago, is with these prolapsed third eyelids, and it was a bilateral prolapsed third eyelids, Mark, chronic, for many, many months as a rescue case, um, is that we can manage to still retain the third eyelid structure generally, but we can remove that um, superficial gland of the third eyelid and it's just unheard of as far as them developing dry eye as a result of that mark. So we can basically chop it off or not chop off the whole um, third eyelid, but the um, prolapse heart. So we make an incision over the um, little little membrane that's um, holding that superficial gland of the third eyelid and we dissect it out and um, away we go. Um, there is a little bit of uh, usually a, a big blow vessel that's involved there that you cannot avoid. A um, little bit of gentle pressure um, is all you really need because rabbit blood clots pretty quickly. And I actually saw that rabbit today, Mark, for a revisit um, after the um, surgical procedure and it's doing fantastic. And um, you can see the third eyelid just slightly, but nowhere near as bad as what they were previously. So in rabbits, we do have the option of doing that more simple procedure of actually removing that superficial gland of the third eyelid. Fascinates me, Brendan, that um, that how well that works, given the fact that there's such a large part of the the um, you know the, the eyeball that's prominent in rabbits, but seems to particularly with those brachycephalic breeds that um, uh, pokes out of the palpebral fissure, um, but um, but yeah, uh, um, I was looking after you had made that discussion. I was um, having a look around to see whether uh, I could see any of the problems that because uh, then the, trying to do that surgery, the anchoring surgery in rabbits has just been a nightmare for me. So, um, so yeah, looking forward to using the the uh, superficial gland excision as a procedure in the future what's your next one 
Next one, Mark, is Rats with Red Tears. Um, mm. Just a couple of comments on it. So do you want to rip, um, rip into that? So just what is it with these rats with red tears? When do they get it and what is the typical cause of the red tears? Because it's a very common oh, presenting very, complaint from clients. My rat, especially new owners, my rat is bleeding from the eyes or mouth or, or its front little paws. Yes, um, and they, it, I can understand why clients do bring that, uh, you know, present with that description because, my goodness, it does look like there's a, uh, um, it looks like it's blood running from down the, the you know, medial canthus from the where the tears would normally run. Um, but as we, uh, and while you can't make a universal, you can't guarantee that it's not blood, in the vast majority of these um these rats. It is a stress-related uh, um, porphyria, the production of porphyrin from uh, the glands of the eye leads to the overflow of tears stained with those porphyrins, iron-containing pigments which um, oxidise into a beautiful rusty red colour which make them look like blood. Um, there is a little bit of an art to being able to tell the difference, Brendan, isn't there? There's, um, there's a uh, um, a simple, simple, simple process, isn't it? Um, and that's looking for exactly what you were talking about. Um, is it blood or not? Um, is it porphyrin? Well, by definition, if it is blood, you just take a bit of that sample and you'll see red blood cells in the, a little smear there. So just take a little section of it. And if you see red blood cells in there, then maybe it was bleeding from the eyes, but the vast majority of, of them, it is just that chromodacaria, the porphyrin pigment, which is a stressed rat. rat um, and and that's what's causing it. Next one, Mark, you wanted to, You can do another bird one. Retinal detachment in birds of prey. What's the story well, with that? You've lost me, Brandon. You can't. Just at a critical moment, I can see nothing. Can you? I've still got a tick. And we're back. Good old Starlink, Mark. Played up there a little bit. So, Mark, birds of prey, retinal detachment. What's the story with that? I have lost you. Unhappy face. What am I to do offline? Attempting to reconnect. Well, I wanted to um, to mention this one because oh, it's been an embarrassment for me a number of times, Brendan. Um, uh, we have birds of prey brought to us with uh, major traumatic injury, often um, associated with motor vehicles, and I work my magic on their musculoskeletal system and repair horrendous fractures or um, other injuries only to find that I should have looked at the bird at the very first instance more thoroughly, particularly paying attention to the eyes and uh, making sure I have the magnification and, uh, and making sure that I can get a plane of focus within the eye so that I can see the retina because a significant number of these birds of prey that have been hit by vehicles and have significant other trauma will have retinal detachment, which will render them unable to be released no matter how magical your skills at repairing their bones and muscles. So I just encourage everyone who does work with those birds to make it a very, very early part of their complete physical examination 
to examine those Great point, eyes. Mark. Look for stuffed retinas. That's my summary of that one, Mark. Look for stuffed retinas. Next one, Mark. Osseous metaplasia in guinea pigs. What the hell are we talking about here? So that's the client that brings in their guinea pig. It's It's not always bilateral. It can be unilateral. My guinea pig has white rings around its eye or inside its eye or on the edges of its eye there, Mark. What's the story of that? The process with that particular case. I'll tell you what the story is, Mark. It is heterotopic <laughs> bone formation. That's what it is, Mark. It's it's appears to originate, um, and I, I was looking up one of the definitions for this, so I'm reading reading this little bit out there. It's not off the top of my head, although most of this I, I sort of did have in there somewhere. It appears to originate in the ciliary body, Mark, becoming more visible when or if they grow into the iridocorneal well, angle, um, Mark. It's um, very, sometimes very it's associated with discomfort or visual <laughs> problems, um, but typically they're not. They're seen fine, Mark, and it's just a bit of an incidental finding unless it's a, a really severe one and the entire circumference of the um, iridocorneal angles affected there, Mark. So it's 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 an, a fascinating one, isn't it? So basically it's abnormal cells around the angle there, um, the edge of the eye there near the ciliary body, um, and you see this sort of raggedy white sort of structure, don't we, um, around the around that um, potential the circumference, sometimes the whole circumference of the eye there. I've seen some when it when it's, you know, many millimetres marked thick um, across the, the eye there, um, protruding sort of or, or creeping across onto the sort of corneal um, region there, Mark. Um, so there's a few different thoughts, I think, um, about the potential um, causes of this, Mark. Um, often it's a, a secondary condition and, and a just a oh, incidental finding in, in a clinical examination with them. So uh, the thought is that they can develop secondary to penetrating trauma to the eye, especially those ones where they're just individual um, um, single um, eye affecting it, um, possibly caused by intraocular infections as well or inflammation, but the precise etiology of it is really unknown, Mark. Um, and the only final comment I've got with this, not being very punchy here, Mark, is one hypothesis has linked this condition, this osseous metaplasia, this heterotopic bone formation in eyes of the guinea pig, Mark, with possibly the accumulation of high levels of vitamin C, ascorbic acid, in the aqueous humour, which promotes localised mineralisation and bone formation in the ciliary body, Mark. That's one of the theories. Yes. And... And that's why I, I put that one in there because it, it, you'll look at most of the exotic textbooks and um, one of the common recommendations is for any unwell guinea pig, supplement them with vitamin C because they may become vitamin C deficient as part of that or any illness that's going on with them. So, yes, it's a it's an interesting one there, Mark. So do you, um, I hope um, it's not true because we did lose geez, I've got a lot of there, vitamin C into a lot of there. guinea pigs. Uh, have you seen many of these osseous metaplasia cases? Yeah, most of the most of the ones I've seen are incidental. Um, as far as I know, they're just in there for a checkup or some other disease process. Um, 
and related to vitamin C, and we see these, um, and we point it out to the client, and they say, oh, only a couple of them, Brendan. Like that. I mean, so it hasn't, and I can't, I'm pleased to say that I, I can't say there's been a strong correlation between um, the daughter animals or son who prescribed vitamin C2. So, yeah, that's, um, so number, let's rip through the markets, we're up to number seven, corneal ulcers in rabbits and guinea pigs. And the reason why I wanted to put this one on their mark is as some the the commonality of this how, how common it is um, in rabbits and guinea pigs, and if you want to chat about the most common causes of it, and also I put down a point about that that some of them are some of these some most are are difficult to to treat when they become chronic. So do you want to jump into that, Mark? Um, do you want to talk about? How common they are. Oh, yes. Mark, okay, go for it, Mark. Quick, while we've got the satellite up, go. While we've got the satellite, I was going to talk about corneal ulcers in rabbits and guinea pigs. They do occur commonly, Brendan. I see them all the time. And most of the time, they are due to foreign bodies, mainly grass seeds. And they occur in, you know, the, often the grass seeds that are associated with some lesser quality hay seem to be a problem in my area. Yes. They're painful. They're really painful. The rabbits are, are in obvious distress when these things happen. They have a really, really deep conjunctival fornix. And so some magnification, some local an- ocular local anesthetic is usually required to locate the damn thing. And the grass seed awns often have a little arrowhead, you know, locking them in position so they can be a little bit fiddly to get out. But when you get them out, they usually go pretty well, Brendan. They uh, they generally respond excellently. They are so satisfying, aren't they? They are. They are really, and they are. It's like one of those Doctor Pimple Popper things. So they're so big. You're not surprised that they cause the amount of discomfort, distress. I do have the occasional case, especially with rabbits, Brendan, that you pull out a foreign body, and the damn thing just seems to tick away. You know, becomes indolent, maybe is infected by something. Uh, I, in these cases, I usually suspect that I've left something behind. But repeated examinations don't, I don't find things. So there are just that small number of cases that trip over into some form of indolent ulceration and require more aggressive treatment. Yes, no surprise. Very similar myself, Mark. They're usually very satisfying to deal with, and I'm sure the guinea pig or the Rabbit enjoys the, the treatment because it's a, a relief for them. But those problematic ones, those long-term corneal ulcers, um, can be can be a completely different story, which we will talk about another time, Mark. So our last two, our last two items of unusual pet eye issues, frogs, Mark, corneal lipidosis slash keratopathy. What's the story with that? Well, it is another one that we see quite regularly, the, the, it's very obvious. People see their poor frogs and and they see that there's a, a white plaque-like mark on the, the the clear part of the eye and they start to panic and in they come and we have a look and, and it's a lipid deposit. And it's often those frogs that are voracious eater, the big green tree frog or whatever, and so people are often feeding them quite a lot, sometimes even feeding them maybe pinkies or those high-fat dietary components that probably should be avoided and 
and then we end up with these deposits in the eye. They can interfere with the accuracy of leaping on prey items for those frogs that, you know, so we will see in a group of frogs, maybe the ones suffering from this end up not feeding quite as well out of the group. But if they're on their own and they're being hand-fed, they tend to cope pretty well. Changing the diet can limit progress, it's very difficult to do anything about the existing deposits. They don't change too much. And we talk about them in more detail in episode 232, Brendan, and I recommend our listeners, once they've listened to this episode, and if they have a particular interest, they flick over two, three, two. to 23. Yes. And to two, the, whole, two. the whole episode and covers lipidosis, keratopathy in, in our little froggies, Mark. So the final one before that satellite kicks us off is bitter dragons mark and i'd be interested in your thought of this i'll, I'll pop this one on here bitter dragon squamous cell carcinomas of the eye or face region mark and i'd regard it as certainly unusual if not rare mark but i have seen a number of these in bitter dragons and interestingly enough a few of them i've seen a an association um an apparent association with the fact that it is an individual that tends to have that particular affected eye aim towards their UV light mark um, when they've had a, a strong UV lamp and they happen to be sitting a little bit too close to their UV lamp. Have you seen this condition, Mark? Definitely seen squamous cell carcinomas of the eyelid or maybe just over that skin of the, the, that's on the dorsal part of the um, the head just above the eye. And I do worry, just given the location, you, your intuition tells you that maybe it's associated with uh, exposure to unusual light. Never seen it in a wild one, so obviously a disease of captivity. Well, and, Mark, and I do um, have one case like, like you that about to play up again. So what we're going to the way do, it oriented itself. What we're going to do, Mark, is we're going to get out of here because um, the gremlins have been affecting us again, and Elon is not happy with us with his satellite system. So I think it's <laughs> time to say huru from the gurus, and we will talk to you next week. And don't forget to send us and email vetgurus at gmail.com and we'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus. Don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe, view show notes, listen to previous episodes and more. You can contact us by email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi. Thanks again and see you next time. Thank you.